Welcome to Zero Trust 30. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and this is the show that helps you make sense of the cybersecurity sensation that is Zero Trust. Today, we are going to be talking about Secure Access Service Edge, also known as SASE, uh, and the relationship that it holds with uh, Zero Trust. And I'm joined today by two industry experts, uh, one of which is Mr. Colby Dice, who is the Director of Product Management at AppGate. He holds over 20 years of experience uh, leading development, delivery, and marketing of enterprise software solutions. And I think it's fair to say, Colby, that you have quite the affinity for the cloud and have been working in the cloud space for many a years now. Colby, why don't you say hi and make sure that the audience knows that you're a real person. I'm a real person and younger than George made me sound. Aw. You've just been doing it for a long time then. You started early. (laughs) And we are also joined by Mr. Aaron Palermo. Aaron, hopefully I got your name right. Uh, We're a senior solution architect here at AppGate as well. So he is in the throes day in and day out working with customers as they adopt Zero Trust and and plan out their network and security modernizations. Um, Aaron as well has over 20 years in this space. Uh, big focus on security and automation. And if Colby's got the affinity for the cloud, I would say Aaron also has that, but with a DevOps kind of angle. Aaron is also, uh, and also contributed to the Cloud Security Alliance uh, Software Defined Perimeter Architecture Guide. Um, And Aaron, why don't you go ahead and let everyone know that you too are a real person and make sure that I got all of your credentialing there correct. I too am a real person and well done on the pronunciation of my name. Well, thank you very much. It's not like I've been practicing or anything. Right. So before we get into talking about Sassy and Zero Trust, we like to kind of do this little icebreaker game. We'll, we'll have both of you play it. Uh, it's very straightforward. We basically beg the question of what is bugging you? And so, Colby, I'm going to start with you. What's bugging you? Has anyone answered kids these days? Uh, no, because nobody's really asked me yet. <laughs> Uh, I like personally, it's, uh, it's the fact that I haven't been able to get, uh, these, um, uh, handles for my drawers. And now I use 14 gauge wire, uh, as handles for the drawers in my kitchen. Uh, you, you don't want to know what kind of mess that creates at the house. Nice. Is there anything related to the security industry that is bugging you? <gasps> oh, security related. Like, sure. I, honestly, the, the, the problem that I, I keep uh, struggling with with what's going on in security is um, is there's really just a lot of confusion um, around whether or not we're we're under a lot of cyber attacks. Uh, I think uh, you you and I've talked about this before that uh, we see that the the government's the intelligence community is kind of giving uh, competing information. If you're a business leader trying to secure your environment, you sure would like to have a, a single source of a truth that, and a consistent message about where the threats are coming from and, and how best to protect yourself. Um, you know, that, that really bothers me that, uh, that we're not getting that kind of unified information. So I'm, I'm glad we've got events kind of like this where, uh, where other business leaders can get together and talk about the things that they're seeing and really help each other, uh, become more secure. That's, that's the security related thing that's been bugging me. Wow. You really just put this, this podcast on a pedestal there, Colby, that we are going to be the, the, the straight shooters where people can get that, that single sole piece of information. We'll do our best. Aaron, what about what about you? What's bugging you? I was wondering pretty much every day why do bicycles still have chains? <laughs> and you know, I like to get out and ride, and that's the one thing that always tends to wear out, cause problems. 
has to be maintained. I could see that. Why I could see that. Do you? you are you? A, are you? A, you're an avid biker. You're out there on a regular basis. Mountain biker. Yeah, I nice. got back about thirty minutes ago. Very cool. Very cool. Anything security related, or is it just down to chains? Uh, chains is a big one. Security related. You know, why does ransomware still exist? Sure. I mean, I think we have enough technology to create the decrypt keys, or find the decrypt keys, or you know, protect ourselves. But I don't know if we're not getting we as a security community are not getting creative enough or adversaries are out there getting more creative. I mean, I don't have the answer, but it's one of those things that's, that bugs me. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's absolutely down to money. It's a brand new economy. I also, um, I heard a new, a new phrase, which hopefully it does not adopt, but uh, killware has, has started to at least hit the headlines for me. I saw it where it's a, a new adaptation of malware that is designed to inflict enough impact to where it actually could take somebody's life. So it just kind of shows you the, the real, world, real world implications that are kind of happening from cyber attacks. And I think a lot of it's coming out of the healthcare industry, right, where you have ransomware attacks that are then leading to life or death situations being put forward. But... I don't know. I don't know why we have to come up with a name for it, but... I thought we already had virus. Exactly. There you go. As if that wasn't graphic enough. I am not going to sleep tonight. What the heck? (laughs) The other funny point there is right around ransomware. um, Whenever you hear the headlines and everyone says, we've been breached, it's always classified as a sophisticated breach. Right? It's like, it was a sophisticated attack. And it's like, whatever that word means, sophisticated, when you're... Somebody stole some credentials and had some lateral movement, and that's a sophisticated cyber attack. Uh, I don't know as to why, but anywho. Because it was unexpected. Because it was unexpected. All right, let's get down to the matter at hand. So we are here to talk about SASE, like I said, Secure Access Service Edge, and Zero Trust. Uh, You know, both of these have kind of hit the market, um... Everybody's talking about it. There's there's tons of thought leadership out there, tons of vendors talking about it. Obviously, you've got analysts that have stake in the game here. Um, you know, these are two ideas, basically, right? And so, you know, although some people claim you can go out there and you can buy SASE solutions, and the whole idea of SASE is that eventually you could buy it as a single uh, solution. It's not really there yet. Zero Trust, on the other hand, is 100% just a paradigm, right, in which you are trying to to think about it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to hear from Aaron and Colby in terms of really making sense of these two ideas, peeling back the onion a little bit to get at the core of what they are and what they solve. And then we're going to try to really frame out some common uh, and very critical building blocks some starting places where people could think about, you know, the beginning implementations of a zero trust or sassy like journey, as well as some potential headwinds they might run into. So let's go into the first section here, which is aptly called peeling back the onion. Uh, Colby, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off, can you give us the simplest definition of sassy that you could possibly come up with and, and, and level set on, on what sassy is? Um. Sure. I, I think maybe the simplest way to consider what SASE is, is it's the combined strengths of network and security architectures. Like those two disciplines and those technologies being applied to uh, you know, protect the assets and the individuals and the data of, of an organization. Um, if you were to look at 
sassy diagrams. If you look at the description, perhaps from when uh, I think Gartner coined that back in 2019, uh, you'd see there are a tremendous number of parts and it can look kind of overwhelming as if, um, you know, wow, I have to adopt all of that and what single vendor am I going to get that from? But consider that, um, you know, most of us are walking around with like cell phones like an iPhone and Android or whatever. And that is your, um, your reading material. It's your internet access. It's your phone. It's the way you communicate with people over text or, or voice in uh, video and, Imagine all of those pieces, if we were told you 20 years ago, all that stuff just going to sit in your pocket, right? So SASE, to me, kind of presents a vision of the phones that we're all holding uh, today. But it's, it's, lay, it's laying out all of the pieces that make up uh, today's sort of modern communication device. Uh, I, I do believe that SASE kind of came about as a recognition that organizations, they go through making their digital transformation uh, I've had to adopt a lot of different technologies, expanding IT footprints, and perhaps a little bit prescient that uh, Gartner would introduce this in 2019, just before the um, just before the pandemic. You got to consider that it's not just the technologies and everything kind of going really wide there, but your employees are not no longer sitting in an office, right? You got to really deal with hybrid uh, work environments. That kind of complexity, both on the uh, IT landscape and uh, where the people are at. Uh, really needs to be addressed. I think SASE attempts to to do that. The the perception, not the perception, the vision for what you can get from SASE is that um, it can provide secured access no matter where you're at, no matter where the resource is at, and that you could do that without slowing down the business. Um, yeah, that's, that's the way I think of SASE today. Awesome. Aaron, I don't know if you have anything to add to that or not. Um, my follow-up question would be you is if, if we've just got a nice little definition there from Colby in terms of SASE, how would you frame zero trust and define it in its most simplest form? I think it's pretty complementary and still trying to get to the same ends, maybe for a slightly through a slightly different means. You know, securing the data that a company considers to be their core competency. And for zero trust, it's really putting the protections in place around the data, around the services, and then using the infrastructure that's already in place, so the internet, to provide the resiliency and the transport to get people to the zero trust access points that sit right in front of those protected resources. Whereas I see SASE is maybe a little bit closer to the customer where there's distributed points of presence and the zero trust is a little bit closer to the protected resources, but also protecting the users. So I think a lot of it's looking at context of user and device and what they're trying to do. And it's two pretty similar ways to get this to the same ends. Right. At, at the heart of them, they're, they're both kind of taking a look at like an identity centric view of the world. Um, Right. And I, I guess I think about the, the similarities for ZTA, ZTNA, and, and SASE being um, you, you want a, a model that takes into account who's trying to access, what resources they're trying to access, when, where's the, access, where's the resources they're trying to access, you know, where are they, the, the end user trying to access it. Like it, it takes a lot of those things into account, both, both these, um, these approaches. I, to me, ZTNA is a, critical component to, to SASE. 
mm-hmm. but they but they both definitely kind of understand that you've got to take into account both the identity and the asset. And uh, perhaps one thing we haven't mentioned is the security posture of the individual's behavior, the resource that they're using, like the laptop, the the location where they're at. Like you got to take a lot of that into account. Um, and that, that's the same no matter whether you want to focus on ZTNA or you want to focus on SASE. Well, I think part of that, too, goes into the, the, the dynamic and continuous nature of them both, right? Both in terms of uh, dynamic and user behavior that is constantly changing and the continuous monitoring of that, but also the dynamic nature of the workloads that zero trust might be protecting or the networks that people are jumping into and off of on a regular basis. Um, I mean, you know, I think I heard identity being at the core there. I don't know if you want to double down on kind of that as a, as a commonality between the two, but it definitely continues to come up is, is the power of identity. Um, Aaron, what do you see there? I definitely agree with that. So if you don't know, who is getting on the on-ramp to your protected resources, then they're not really protected. So you definitely have to know who the user is, ideally where they're coming from, is there a device secure that comes into the security posture, and also coupling that with what does my what does my infrastructure, what does my company look like? Do I use primarily software as a service, or do I have massive data centers full of processing and services in my own data centers? You know, do I own infrastructure, do I own backhauls, or am I a new cloud native startup that doesn't own that components? So that comes into, that can help inform a business to help make them make, to help them make the right business decision on, you know, do I want to own all this top to bottom or do I want to have a, a service that I use that owns the backs, backhauls, that optimizes everything and gets my users to the backend software as a service that I'm leveraging? Or conversely, do I already own all the networks? Um, do Maybe I have a reason that I need to keep everything air-gapped or off the internet for some reason. And do I want to run all of my own infrastructure and keep that in-house? So at the end of the day, you know, both businesses have valid reasons for doing business the way they do. And it comes down to a business decision of, what infrastructure, what infrastructure looks right, what service looks correct for safeguarding my applications and my services the way I need to do for my business. If I can jump in about the identity part. Yeah. Um, but part of what Aaron was just describing, you know, you, you want to know who's trying to access the, the resources. What I find really interesting about the ZTNA approach, uh, which in, in some ways is a subset of, of, of SASE. But I like the idea that you want to know who it is before you even let them know that a particular resource is available. And that's really very different from what you've seen from traditional approaches. Like if you just consider like, what do you do in a firewall? You have a rule that says, you know, point A can talk to point B. What do you do in a VPN? You say, okay, if someone were to authenticate, then they can have access to all the things they would normally have access uh, to. But it's a real simple authentication um, when you start to adopt a ZTNA approach or you, you go, you know, to SASE approach, you're before you even were to let someone know that such a resource might even exist, you'd have to know something about them. 
You'd have to have them verify who they are. You want to validate that. And you want to do security posture checks, not just against that individual, but the device and location and, and, and all that. And that, that's a lot of um, information that uh, I think sort of the traditional approaches haven't taken into account. And when we look at ZTNA, when we look at SASE, um, you know, I mentioned that they, they both seem to have identity really in there. Uh, and that that's critical. You don't get that on-ramp that Aaron mentioned unless we can verify or the system can verify who you are, <laughs> whether or not you should be allowed here. And, oh, you're allowed here, but your device is not really safe uh, or it's the wrong time of day for you to do that. So maybe some behavioral analysis. Um, I, it, to me, that's really interesting. It's a very big change from where most organizations have been operating for, let's say, the past 20-something years, 30 years. Yeah. Well, a kind of follow-up question to that, Ryan, as you think about zero trust, just as the, as the term zero trust, it feels very security-esque, right? Um, I mean, both of these naturally lend themselves to hardened security postures and um, just stronger security controls. SASE, I think, starts to introduce a lot of the conversation at face value around simplification, right? And improved user experiences and kind of removing some of that complexity, which is naturally um, leads to vulnerabilities. So my question, I'm getting to it, a long-winded one, uh, what are some, from the perspective of the two of you, you know, what are some of those um, complexity reduction benefits of both a SASE and zero trust model, you know, taking the security component really com completely out of it? What, what have you seen? I think moving away from IP management and moving more towards identity management. That's not, not just users, but also applications. So if I have a, a group of web servers and they serve out web pages on port 443 and I can group them logically and they talk to backend application and then database servers and those web apps talk to the databases different than they talk to the users, categorizing that, that communication and allowing that and categorizing that differently, protecting it differently, but not managing not managing that necessarily at the IP and port level, managing that more as an identity of a web server is talking you know, to a database server a certain way and a database server is talking to an application server a certain way and allowing that traffic and managing that as groups uh, definitely abstracts the IP and port, makes it much easier to manage, especially as you scale out and that even transitions in into a container-based architecture. So if you are managing applications as identities, these two types of applications talk a certain way to each other. That is much easier to protect and that translates better into the containerized environment as well. So moving away from writing a bunch of IP rules and then start starting to classify applications and letting them talk to each other in a way that's secure. That's a really good point, right? That we used to think of um, servers and it was about the IP address and, and you define rules about what IP could talk to IP. If you consider that that um, we're not really doing servers so much as services, whether it's container-based services or it might be instances that you're running uh, in, in a cloud environment or, or even some of the cloud-based services um, you know, database services, um, uh, Lambda functions, cloud run functions, things that don't necessarily have an IP address that you would not try to access as an IP. 
Instead, you access modern day applications through a set of services that themselves have identities. Generally, they're tag-based, but you know they're somehow named. And I, I think Aaron is, is definitely pointing out that it's, it's a simpler world if you can, instead of trying to manage all those darn IPs, you can manage uh, setting up rules for uh, based off of the tags or the service names or the identity of the application. Um, that, that's a really important component if you're moving towards a ZTNA or SASE approach to, to be able to kind of consider that the resources themselves have an identity. Mm. Those are some great thoughts. So if I was uh, you know, a security pra- practitioner cutting my teeth on, on either one of these, um, for the sake of the argument, let's say you know you're a moderately sized enterprise with investments previously made and operating in a uh, traditional sense of, of security with a hardened perimeter, but people have moved outside of the organization and workloads have started to move to the cloud. I still have some on-prem, virtualized, non-virtualized, doesn't really matter. How would you start, uh, let me f- rephrase that. What guidance would you give to somebody like that in terms of a starting point to even entertain moving to a sassy like or zero trust like mindset? Burn it all down, send it to the cloud. Burn it all down, send it to the cloud. All right. That I figured we can edit that out. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> we certainly can. <laughs> Take it from the top. Right. So I think a, a, a real good place to start is first just understand what are the motivations, what are the business objectives? And before we think, jump into how do we solve the problem, first figure out what problem you're trying to solve. Um, that probably is the most important thing to do. Uh, one, once you understand that, uh, you can start to take the right approach. I mean, if you're trying to, I guess, if your business problem is you need to accommodate a hybrid workforce, you'll take a particular approach. If your business problem is you need to reduce the attack surface, you'll likely take a different approach. And even another one, you just want to streamline access. You want to make it faster to give new new, uh, employees or customers access to to resources. All those are going to require a different kind of approach. So first, understand what the business objectives are. And then I would suggest that you take inventory. You know, as you just mentioned, George, like customers, uh, organizations have already made pretty significant investments in their networking, their security, their identity. Um, you know, look at what you already have today and then consider how could those be applied to the problem at hand. And let me point out, it's not just the technology, it's the staff that you have, the expertise that you have in-house. It's the processes that you have in-house, you know, could very well be that you have all the right technology and the right folks, but you've got processes that are getting in the way. So consider that. And then at that point, you probably have identified where there are real gaps, where you need to consider making investments. And uh, I would advise and have advised customers that you want to consider making investments in very targeted locations, you know, consider where the high value assets that you need to protect um, you know, what are the most sensitive things you want to um, uh, protect against attackers and um, look at cloud-based solutions, look at solutions that you could easily adopt, things that you could probably subscribe to, 
uh, and try them out. You want to be able to like bounce out of that if that's not going to be the right solution. And maybe that's, it's that one vendor or maybe it's just that technology stack in, in general. But um, you know, make sure that you, you've got a, a pretty flexible investment uh, strategy there. Uh, and also consider that uh, the solutions that you pick really should have a, a rich set of APIs or existing set of integrations because as we mentioned, you've got a lot of investments already in there. You want to leverage the existing investments that you have. So th those three things, right? Understand the motivations, the business objectives, take inventory for what you've got, identify and address those gaps, and, and then you, know, you, you make your move from there. Well, I would, I would second the staffing and business objectives. If your core competency is not gonna be, if your company's core competency is not in network security and you have you know, one IT person, then maybe you don't want to do everything in-house and the services can be really attractive. And then also the staffing, if it's, you know, like it is today, if it's hard to find really highly skilled people to bring that in-house services or as a service delivery is going to be significantly more attractive. But I think, you know, all of these solutions are available as services or, and some of them are, are available in-house as well. I would say most are available as services and then the smaller steps that are available for the in-house implementation. It's really, what are your business drivers? What are your core competencies? And you know, like Colby said, what are, you, what are you trying to solve? What's that problem? And articulate that first. What I like about one of the things you pointed out is um, you know, a lot of these pieces are, are out there for people to subscribe to and try and use. <clears throat> like you don't have to make a significant investment in the infrastructure or probably even in, in training their, their organizations that can help you get up to speed uh, pretty quickly. What I, what I really like about that, Aaron, is that that means it's accessible to everybody, right? You don't have to be giantmegacorp.com, right? You can be a small organization, um, you know, with some limited resources, but understand that you want to protect the assets that you have. You want to protect your customers. Um, and so you, you can make some incremental investments to, to start your journey towards uh, ZTNA or, or SASE, which, whichever terminology you want to go with. I mean, it sounds like a lot of the building blocks could already be put into place for some of these organizations. It's about the, the overarching architecture of how they all work together and making them do exactly what they were intended to do and talking to each other through those integrations and leveraging the power of identity matched with context and risk to inform the overall policy management to all of your resources in your organization. Um, if you were just starting out, George, like that, that's a great place. Like, uh, yeah. uh, I know we sort of harsh on, on VPNs. Uh, I get it. It's been around for a while and people kind of understand it, but they don't really tackle things from identity centric point of view. If you're just starting out, absolutely look for technologies that are focused on the identity centric uh, security models and you you'll begin to find the, the right set of solutions for you if you're just getting started that's a great place to start and then also with identity solutions that can integrate with external systems so if you have an hr system you know chances are if somebody gets fired or leaves they're going to stop getting paid but that might not be automatically communicated to the it team so if that account lingers open for a day or a week or a month, then that's additional risk of company to the company. Integrating those HR systems and identity systems could really help to streamline the, the efficiency there and remove that risk. 
All right, and, and, and you guys touched on it earlier, and I want to talk a little bit about kind of anticipated headwinds that somebody could could walk into, right, as they're like, oh, I'm going to do this zero trust thing. Oh, wait, now I've got this roadblock. Um, you know, when you think about, like, Aaron, you just touched on it, right? you got HR systems, VPNs, often not considered in the wheelhouse of a security team. You start having the intersection of the networking, the security, and the IT teams, and much of this is not a technology problem. It's a people and process issue and kind of understanding who's on first leading this charge. And it kind of has to be a bit of a top-down um, strategy, right? Like I, I could imagine being a security person saying, yeah, we've got to do this thing. And then if you don't have the left hand and the right hand talking to each other, you're going to hit major political roadblocks. What other kind of headwinds are you guys experiencing or seeing out there that people run into on a regular basis? I think it's the buy-in. So you know, like you said, it, it can be a great technology solution. The CTO could really, really be pushing it. But if the CFO is not on board and it doesn't get funded, then either it's not going to go anywhere or it's going to be implemented poorly and, you know, give zero trust or sassy sort of a, a bad flavor for the users. So I would, I would definitely echo your, your top down. It definitely has to be management driven. There has to be a business case, ideally well-defined. What are we going to get out of this for our money so that, it can be funded. You can't have measurable metrics of what you're going to get out of this and then break it into pieces because this, the entire, our entire journey is not going to happen in six months. You know, where do we want to be in five years? Break it down to where do we want to be six months from now? How are we going to make this better? You know, how are we going to make it a better user experience or a more secure user experience? How are we going to identify and group our applications? So we can stop managing IPs and start managing, you know, service identities. I guess I would I would really second that. If you think about the the major headwinds that most organizations encounter, at least the, those that that I work with, it's generally the the politics and in, in the process. Um, you know, we everybody has day jobs, um, and and we're all good at the, at the things that we were we were hired to do. Um, and it's not uncommon for an organization to say they want to embark on a ZTNA approach or a SASE approach, and uh, the, the folks kind of come at it with, "But this is what I know. This is what we're gonna what we're gonna do." Uh, really working together, uh, you know, like we said at the very outset, you're combining network and, and security expertise. It, it's not a technology gap. There's a ton of great technology out there that can help solve those problems. And very often, it's the the challenge of getting that that technology understood, adopted by the the teams that um, might be a bit concerned about how does this impact them. I think in the in the long run, we'll find that organizations will, will move through those headwinds, and they'll find that it's much more beneficial to be able to work together on addressing these uh, solutions. Aaron's definitely right; it's got to be led from the top down. The, the organization has to have a, a really good vision for what they're trying to do. When I got to imagine too, you can find find that starting place, take a chunk out of it, prove the return on investment and showcase the real operational and security benefits, and then use that as a springboard to scale implementation across the organization, identify new use cases, and just let the momentum roll. 
I, I love the way you're, you're saying that. Like you, the first time you're out of the gate, it's going to be great and you get to prove it. And uh, you just I don't uh, do this, Colby. I'm going to do it even more. I'm going to do it even more. Uh, let's, let's, I hate to throw the, a little bit of reality into that, but except the fact that y- you might not get it right because you're going to bring in the assumptions that you had from before. You're, you might be working with some technology that works a little bit differently than you expected. So uh, except the fact that uh, you'll try it in a project and it won't quite work the same way. Uh, you sort of reflect on that uh, and figure out, uh, you know, maybe it's not the technology, maybe it's not the vendor, maybe it's the process. But consider that uh, you're going to learn through that. The whole thing is a learning process. And until you get to uh, a really understanding that this is the approach you should take inside your organization, um, you, you don't, you're not yet ready to scale, but don't throw it out if you find that, oh, it didn't seem to work that first time. Don't throw it out yet. Just give give it a chance. Uh, you know these changes are hard, and they're going to take a, a while for some organizations to to make those transitions. Uh, and then everybody will see this beautiful, gorgeous, <laughs> magical world that George just uh, described for us. Disillusioned, yes. And I think that's where the the iterative uh, and incremental implementation comes in. You know, don't convert everybody over at once. Find that small targeted group of semi-friendly users, get it right the first time, you're going to make mistakes, make small mistakes, learn from them, you know, fail fast, Yeah. learn from those, and then move forward with lessons learned to the people who are going to be a little bit less friendly. Because if you start out with, you know, not big on HR, but if you start out with a, a less technical friendly, less, less technically savvy group of users, and there's something technical that you have to do to get the solution working, uh, if you start with the people who are going to complain and then stop the money flow, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Um, Now's a great time for everybody to go and read up on crossing the chasm. Uh, you want to get the early adopters to, uh, to adopt this and right, you're going to have to be able to make that leap over to uh, early majority, late majority. <laughs> what a That's exactly right. Yeah. I just made there. But that, well, thanks, in, thanks in for keeping me answer. grounded. And, and not letting my, my optimism uh, get the best of me there, Colby and Aaron. For that <laughs> Just, <laughs> um, want to the best advice possible. You know? I love it. I love it. And that's why we have you guys on. So we're going to go ahead and kind of wrap this up. This has been a tremendously awesome conversation. We are going to end on a bit of a fun note. But before we do that, are there any parting thoughts uh, from either of you um, that we haven't talked about yet on this topic? Any final thoughts? No. Clean your bike chain. Clean your bike chain. <laughs> it matters. I, yeah. I, I can't say anything better than so that. Bringing it full circle. Awesome. Well, then let's do this. We're going to play a game. It's a rapid fire question game. We're going to have both of you play it. And it is non-technology related whatsoever. It's basically to get the get a sense for the human that is... Aaron and humans that are Aaron and Colby. Um, <laughs> Did you give away the secret? <laughs> yeah, one, they are one person. person with a split <laughs> multi-personality. There we go. All right, Colby, let's start with you. Mm. If you could Freaky Friday with someone, who would it be? And if I need to define Freaky Friday. Yes, please. <laughs> okay, so Freaky Friday is a movie where two individuals, I guess, switched. It was a mum and a daughter. So I'm glad... I'm glad we had to define it so it didn't go sideways. So if you could switch bodies with somebody for a day, who would it be? Oh, it'd be my dog. 
Okay. Oh, that's a good Dude, one. Straight up, be my dog. I, I think my dog's got a pretty good life. I, I wouldn't mind giving that a, a shot. Okay. Um, although I do worry whether or not people would notice that my dog took over me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. We'll have him on a podcast. Uh, okay, next question. Three things you would bring to a deserted island. Uh, okay, so of course it's got to be a boat. Uh, a sat phone. Uh, what's that? Yeah. Satellite phone. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to bring also uh, all of my friends and uh, a cell phone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I need. I, I know it's deserted, but I still need to keep contact with people. Uh, and I don't really need the boat to leave. Uh, I want the boat to kind of explore. It's a large island, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, why not? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I want the boat so I can go exploring. And, and maybe there's going to be some like good diving uh, just offshore. Just made the best out of a bad situation. All right. What's your favorite curse word? Ooh, I don't know if we could do that one. Tarnation. Let's go for it. We'll edit it out. Well, I think my favorite curse word is but sometimes I like to and there we go. There you go. Fair enough. There you go. What's one fear you would want to conquer? Man, these are getting real personal. Wow. Fear is good for you. To a, uh, to a point. Jeez, oh man. I, I don't necessarily want to conquer any fear. Wow. Okay. So since we're getting personal, like I don't need to conquer it. I just want to understand it. Fair enough. How about fear of spiders? Yeah. Fear of spiders. Mine is snakes. I have an irrational fear of snakes. Wow. It might not be irrational. It depends on the snake. Or the spider. True. Thank you. But it's really any snake. So it is purely irrational. It could be a tiny little garden snake and there's something inside of me that's just, nope, not going to deal with it. It's not a snake inside of you. True. If you could eat only one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Burritos. Oh my God, right. burritos. Burritos, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I, I tried that for a week. My wife left for a week <laughs> to go visit her parents. I was like, let's see how many burritos I can eat. How many did you get? Uh, it was at least two a day for a week. Okay. What? How did you I, did, I didn't always make it out for breakfast. How did you feel? These aren't like free birds or like... Big old Chipotle burritos. Oh, you know about Freebirds. Nice. Yes. I do know about Freebirds. The monster. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So Freebirds or any local taqueria. Whew. Yeah. Big, big burritos, not small breakfast burritos. Goodness gracious. And I felt amazing. Wait a second. <laughs> That's kind of cheating. Because I, I thought like when you asked the question, I, I thought it was like a real basic thing. Burritos can be like lots of different things. You know what? Aaron just knows how to how to how to work the system. So. Oh man! All right, all right. Fair enough. I had my island moment. You got your burrito moment. All right. Fair enough. You could say burrito. salad. It could be a fruit salad, and it could be a veggie salad. Mm. Mm. Salad made of just meat. It could be a meat salad. All right. Well, guys, thank you both so very much. And for the audience, thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find the uh, show notes and other episodes at appgate.com forward slash podcast. And if you're not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is a production of AppGate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely, solely those of the host and the guests and may not represent the views of their organization. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and you've been listening to Zero Trust 30. That's a wrap, guys. I think that went really well. All right.